Unrooted is a podcast by the Indigenous Foundation focused on centering Indigenous voices and stories. Through Unrooted, we hope to dismantle systems of oppression and uproot the deeply ingrained issues and racism that exist against Indigenous people to this day. We hope to share intersectional, holistic perspectives through our discussions with Indigenous and Afro-Indigenous advocates and changemakers. Bonjour, hello, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of Unrooted. My name is Casey McDonald. I'm one of your co-hosts for today, and I'm Anishinaabe from Kettle and Stony Point in what is now known as Ontario, Canada. And I'm your other co-host, Chloe Brissell. I am Cheyenne Ogwala Lakota and Karuk, and I am a new member of the Cheyenne Arapaho Nation. So I know there's been a lot going on in America with the Supreme Court cases lately. Today, we wanted to talk about a very, very important case that will be in the Supreme Court this January, and a lot of people don't know about it. This case is so significant that it could potentially be used to overrule the Indian Child Welfare Act and even threaten Indigenous sovereignty. If you did not know already, the case in question, Brackeen v. Holland, is the result of a lawsuit in 2018 in which the Federal District Court of Texas ruled that the Indian Child Welfare Act is unconstitutional on the basis of it being racist to white people. But a panel from the Fifth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals disagreed, and now it has been sent to the Supreme Court. Before we get further into this, let's talk about what ICWA actually is. The Indian Child Welfare Act was enacted in 1978 in the the United States to protect the rights of Native children and their cultures by preventing the removals of American Indian children from their homes and families by both public and private agencies. An Indian child by law refers to anyone under the age of 18 with tribal membership, eligibility for tribal membership, or is the biological child of someone with tribal membership. It creates a set of standards for out-of-home removal of Native children and allows tribes and families to be involved in child welfare cases as well. This means that the tribe and the family are allowed to step into the proceedings, and if the child must be removed from the home, preference is given to other family and tribal members or another Native family. You may ask, why should ICWA have racial preference for adopting Native kids? That does seem kind of discriminatory. But the fact of the matter is, there's an often overlooked history of Indigenous children being forcibly removed from their homes. Prior to 1978, it was really common for Indigenous children to be removed from the home with little to no evidence of abuse or neglect. Native children were disproportionately removed from their homes and placed with white families, often relating to a loss in relationships with biological family, identity, and culture. In some cases, the rate of Native children in foster care was 16 times higher than any other racial demographic. This time period is often referred to as the 60s scoop. There were also a lot of Christians who became very invested in this practice. One group in particular, the Church of Latter-day Saints, had an Indian placement program that took Native children from their homes and put them with families of the church instead. This was because the Church of Latter-day Saints believed that people who identify as Indian Americans or Latino are descendants of the Lamanite peoples, 
who were ancient Israelites who moved to the Americas. Because of their evilness, God cursed the Lamanites and ultimately Native Americans with their dark skin. According to a New York Times article titled Mormons Altering Indian Prophecy, the church believed that by converting Native kids into Christians, the children would be given white or quote-unquote pure skin in the afterlife. From the 1800s to the 1970s, this concept remained prevalent. In short, ICWA is not discriminatory to white people. It is instead giving preference to other Native relatives and people because of numerous circumstances that make it necessary. If you are well-versed in the history of Indigenous people in the United States and Canada, you might think, wow, this really isn't that far off from residential and Indian day schools. The act of forcibly removing a Native child from their home and placing them with white people who intend to convert these children into Christianity and strip them of their culture is an eerily similar concept. This is because the 60s scoop was merely an extension of this practice. Residential schools are a form of cultural genocide, and so were the adoption practices of Native kids prior to ICWA. The intention of eliminating the person's indigeneity remains the same, regardless of the different format. Therefore, the idea that ICWA is discriminating against white people is kind of ridiculous. Regardless of my opinion, it is still a matter that the Supreme Court will have to determine. This case revolves around the Brackeens, a white evangelical couple from Texas who wish to adopt a Navajo and Cherokee boy who they are fostering. Navajo Nation intervened as they had found a Navajo family the boy could live with. And as stated previously, ICWA determines that state courts must keep Native children with their families, tribal members, or other Native people as often as possible. The Brackeens filed in Texas and later won the lawsuit adopting the boy. Now the Brackeens are looking to adopt the boy's older half-sister, who does not live with them as well. Their case is joined by the states of Texas, Indiana, and Louisiana, where there are families who have similar cases. It is also backed by the Goldwater, Goldwater Institute, which is noted for being anti-government regulations and critical race theory, stating that ICWA is racial discrimination in violation of the 14th Amendment's Equal Protection Clause. So when the Navajo, Cherokee, Oneida, and several other nations filed appeals to this case and were assigned to Judge Reed O'Connor of Northern Texas, who is well known for favoring right-wing plaintiffs, they ran into some trouble. O'Connor sided with the Brackeens, confirming that ICWA is racial discrimination in violation of the 14th Amendment and the 10th Amendment. As an Indigenous person, I know that our identities, our race, our tribal affiliation, our cultural identities are way more complex than just checking a simple box. Identifying as Indigenous can be a complicated matter for many people. There are many Native people who cannot register for membership or who may be of mixed race, so courts often view tribal membership as political affiliation, not a racial one. Through this thought process, Judge O'Connor was able to find a loophole for the Brackeens case by saying that all preferences by ICWA were political and not racial. Under his logic, if Native Americans are not their own racial identity and rather a group of semi-autonomous nations, there is no legitimate reason for ICWA to have racial preferences for prospective adoptive parents of Native children, and therefore ICWA is racially discriminatory. So this is where things get a little crazy. While 
The debates between the Native identity being political or racial may seem a little trivial. The court recognizes that every single bit of legislation involving our nations, our reservations, and the Bureau of Indian Affairs explicitly states that the indigenous identity is separate from the American or the white identity. If the Supreme Court agrees with the Brackeens and Judge Reed O'Connor, these laws meant to protect only us and our rights could be seen as racial discrimination and unconstitutional. Therefore, our identities, our nation's sovereignties, and any treaties and agreements that the U.S. is following through with could be thrown out the window. In the Fifth Court of Appeals, Judge O'Connor's idea of the Indian child being a political identity was rejected. But when it comes to the accusations that ICWA violates the Tenth Amendment, much of the judge's argument passed. The ruling was very confusing, so that is why the Supreme Court will have to review it this January. This is where our lovely first Native American Secretary of the Cabinet, Deborah Holland, comes in. She is urging the court to overturn the Fifth Circuit of Appeals and, has, and officially state that ICWA is not racially discriminatory. Texas and the Brackeens, on the other hand, are trying to see that this law has changed, stating that ICWA racial preferences are a relic of the 1800s Indian laws. In my opinion, this doesn't make any sense, considering that ICWA was created in the 20th century to protect Native people from these racist laws and practices. We have to acknowledge that there is more than just the Brackeen's adoption of these two children riding on this case. There's also an argument from the Goldwater Institute, which is known for being anti-critical race theory. They want to have confirmation from the courts that America's history of racism is no longer relevant or important today. This is why the Brackeen's case is so alarming. If the Supreme Court rules equal unconstitutional, every other right, freedom, and preference provided to Native peoples based on our history will be at risk. As of now, the case will be heard in January 2022 at the earliest. But as of now, what can we do to help with this situation? Is there anything we can do? The first thing, as always, would be to keep yourself and others informed. One of the easiest ways to make a change is to start a conversation with others. One way you could do this is by sharing this podcast with your friends and family, and we will continue to update you guys about the case in the upcoming hearing. <laughs> the second way you can help is by donating or sending funds to the Protect ICWA com- campaign or any of the following four national native organizations. The National Indian Child Welfare Association, the National Congress of American Indians, the Association of American Indian Affairs, or the Native American Rights Fund. These groups are actively working to inform legal, political, and communication strategies to help protect ICWA. You can find these organizations both online and through social media. Be, ju- be sure to join the hashtag ICWA for Families campaign. If you'd like to send a petition to Joe Biden or his administration, or help donate in any way, please see the links in the podcast description. Thank you so much for listening. Um, please tune in for more um, yeah. updates on this um, on this really pressing matter. We'll be yes. coming up with updates this year. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you again for listening to this episode of Unrooted. 
If you'd like to learn more or share information with people you know, please don't forget to check out the links in the podcast description.